Ross Glendinning was one of the most complete players of his era. Like Peter Knights at Hawthorne and Terry Danaher at Essendon, he was equally adept forward or back. He was a star in defence for North Melbourne and good enough to kick 70 goals in a season at full forward for West Coast late in his career. Welcome, Ross. If you were coaching your own team, where would you play? Good question, Mike. I, I really enjoyed playing centre-half forward, having played probably mostly back as a junior, but playing forward, you could be more creative and perhaps have a bit more of an impact on the game. So releasing the shackles a bit, using your intuitive skills, if you like, yeah. a bit of nouse to find the footy. But if you played in the key positions, full-back or centre-half back, you more than often played on a really good player, mm -hmm. so you learnt a lot. So that probably helped a little when I did go forward. Gary Lyon always says it's much harder to play forward than back. Do you subscribe to that? I probably do agree with that. I think if you're being led to the footy a bit as a backman, you learn to play the game a bit more. You've still got to have a lot of concentration and, and be defensively minded. But when you go forward, you can be creative. And like a, if you're like a Wayne Carey, not comparing myself there at all, but he controlled a game, won a game, had the game played through him, and they're very hard to find. There's not a lot of key centre-half forwards in today's game, Mike, is there? Let's go back to the late 70s. You ended up playing at North Melbourne, mm. but they weren't first in the queue, were they? Well, they weren't. Uh, Richmond actually made the first call to, to home to uh, speak to, to Dad and us to say, look, they're interested in uh, me coming to Melbourne. Then South Melbourne, as they were, uh, the same thing, might within a couple of weeks. And then North were not the third in line, but the third call that came. So what swayed you? North were really impressive when you had Alan Aylett, David Robin, Ron Joseph come to Perth on a couple of occasions and speak to Mum and Dad and me. And the way they spoke, there was no expectation. They just painted the picture of the club being a very family-oriented club. They'd had good experience in bringing expats to the club previously with a Rich McKelchick and Graham Melrose, Barry Cable. Um, so there's a bit of a history there. And I think that's probably what won it. And then we also went across for the 77 grand final, which, uh, or 75 grand final, I should say. So North were into you in 1975, were they? Yeah, they invited Mum, Dad and I across for, as a guest of the club to watch that, that final. And of course, uh, North won and uh, their first win in history. So, and the way that we were looked after and were brought into the, the group, the, the family, if you like, was pretty impressive. So I remember on our flight home, we'd been to the Sunday celebrations and being a part of that in itself was pretty enthralling. And I met the likes of Brent Croswell and Sam Kekovic, mm -hmm. who you would well know were wonderful characters. You haven't so forgotten either of those well, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, I remember in the car going home, um, Dad just said, how impressive was that? And, and Mum, which was, she was hard to please because she, she was supposedly gonna lose her boy, but mm -hmm. she said, no, they were pretty impressive, so. It wasn't difficult to say yes. So, Roscoe, you watched North Melbourne win in 75 and you were forced to watch them win again in 77. Yeah. Oh, 75 was clearly, I was a guest and yeah. I was only yeah. 19. 77, you'd already committed to North, had you not? Yeah, I had, yeah. and uh, we'd moved across, or I'd moved across in November 76 mm -hmm. with a view to starting playing with the club in 77. But East Perth, my club here, said that I hadn't played enough games or given them enough service, so they stood in the way, which, um, I can understand, but I was a bit annoyed with because I thought, well, I'm here, why can't you release me? So they stood really firm. They, including, including your father. 
Yes, was well, on the committee. Yeah, well, he uh, well he just said, look, we need to honour both. And whilst he wasn't happy either, the fact is that um, East Perth agreed with North that if I came back and played the second half of the 77 season with East Perth, they would then release me for 78. Okay. So, and I thought that, that was really fair and reasonable. And my, the thing being too is that I spent that seven or eight months in Melbourne with North, settling into the lifestyle, getting a job, training, doing everything but playing. So when I did get released and came back for 78, I just felt really comfortable. So the really, I mean, realistically, it was a pretty good thing. But how difficult was it for your father? He's got his, oh, boy, look, he's got his boy who wants yeah. to go to Melbourne to yeah. chase his dream, and he's on the committee at East Perth. Yeah. Oh, look, it was tough for Dad, but I think he's... He's a, he was a pretty pragmatic sort of a bloke. He understood that the longer term view was the important one. And it was, East Perth was his club. He'd spent time there and he was, he was a very fair man. He was an insurance broker, so he's pretty good at reading both sides. So in the end, we, we just said, look, that's what's got to be done. Accept it and away you go. And you never got to play in a play? No, that's, I got to be close. Um, and 70, 78, you, you played? Yeah, there. we played in a, in a grand final against Hawthorne. So you get that experience, Mike, and, and it's not cliched at all, but you do hear a lot and you know a lot of players, whether it be VFL, AFL, other sports, who play in a team sport, who don't get a chance to play in a final or a grand mm. final. When I had that, so pretty disappointing, but it's not something I carry with me. No, 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 I, I, mean, no, I believe that. I mean, I, I generally don't. Yeah. I mean, would be wonderful to say you're a premiership player, but I've played in a grand final. Yep. Some coaches, I would say, well, mate, you're, what are you talking about? But that's that's me, and I accept that. What about the first, I don't know what stage of the game it was, but it was very early in the 78 grand final. First bounce, Mike. First bounce, so Hawthorne kick it forward. Yeah. Moncrief, mate. Well, it's, Moncrief there was 105,000 people, beautiful sunny day in Melbourne. Yeah. Coloured telling hats were all the go, so... 99,000 wearing coloured tailing hats. You've probably still got yours. Um, <laughs> they bounce the ball. I'm playing a Mike Moncrief. It comes quickly out of the centre. Bang. On his chest, shot at goal. So your man's kicked a goal yeah, before so, the first minute of the grand finals or less. So you think, is there a shovel nearby? <laughs> and you're thinking, how deep can I go? And you yeah. think, God, there's stuff running around. And Lee Matthews with that high-pitched voice saying, if you will, which was all part of the competitive what was, nature. What was Lethal say? Well, I can't repeat it, Mike, but it was really? pretty full Lee Matthews? Yeah, you wouldn't believe that, would you? An icon of the game like Lee. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, it, was, it, was, it, it makes you realise how competitive the game is and certainly the high stakes that were um, on the day. There are some people, Roscoe, and I, I always do feel like the, the bloke doing my job always says some people, who thought that your record in big games wasn't as good as it was in other games. Is that a fair? Oh, there were certainly games where I didn't play well, no question, Mike, uh, where I think there were times when I was really disappointed how I performed. But I thought I performed reasonably well in that game. And I think there's some other finals I've played well enough in. I think some of the State of Origin games, mm -hmm. which I rate as pretty big games, yep. I perform pretty well in. But that's that's a that's an opinion. There's no question I would like to have played better in more games. I didn't. That's what it is. 82-83, mm. best and fairest both years at North Melbourne. How was Bloody in 82 when you kicked 103 goals and you won the BNF? Didn't say much. Did he? No, he did leave the room. No, did he? no, he did leave the room. <laughs> he'd had a cracking year, and given the circumstances that had happened when he'd been uh, the coach previously and had to then become the player, um, oh, that was a remarkable effort. And he's the best player I've played with 
at North Melbourne without doubt, his ability to play both ends through the middle particularly. For a bloke who did limited training, mm. he mm. Uh, just had a wonderful footy brain. So, How did he cope with the disappointment about the coaching role? I reckon he moved on really well. I mean, Blighty's a fairly in-depth sort of soul. Yeah. Um, I didn't know him that well at the time. I mean, we weren't not mates, but he was a little older. Um, and he tended to be a little, not by himself, but he tended to be a little bit separated from the group at times. Um, I thought in, outwardly he handled it pretty well. I mean, it's not an easy thing no. to take that on and be the last, he didn't know that, the last of the playing coaches. It's a pretty tough gig, mm -hmm. mate. And, and you're playing on ball, full forward, and you're sort of coaching players you've played a fair bit, like a David Dench and a Wayne Schumerbush and a Keith Gregg and that ilk of player, a Gary Dempsey. So it, that to change to be their coach, their mentor, it's, it's rare. Yeah. When you left Melbourne, Ross, to come back here as the inaugural West Coast captain, did you feel fulfilled? Did you think that you'd done as much as you could do there in all the circumstances? I thought I had it north. Yeah. The question. Yes, yeah, yeah, North yeah. I certainly had, Mike. I, in fact, that was pretty much the reason why Kerry and I, Kerry might say, my wife, she might say that I made the decision. I thought my contribution at North and my last year and a bit were okay. I thought I was starting to wane in my contribution to the club. And, I, and my genuine thought, Mike, was to come back and play with East Perth, maybe give them a year or two that I hadn't give, given that much to prior yep. to coming to North. So I thought it'd be a nice way to come back. Everything was feeling okay. If I got a kick, hang around at East, for a couple of year, East Perth for a couple of years and finish that way, back home. You played good footy here for West Coast. Um, Coming home, in all honesty, then the, the West Coast thing evolved. It started to evolve through... So you were home, you were coming home. So, so about mid-86, yeah. when it was mooted, there was going to be a team out of Western Australia and the VFL. So the four or five businessmen had put forward the case to the VFL and had shown they were financially capable of paying the $4 million licence. So that, that came through as well when I was thinking about, gee, when's the time to, to come back? Um, coming out of contract. And so I was very lucky, Mike, that that fell in as well. It wasn't contrived. It was it was simply perfect timing for me um, to be able to come back and then play with West Coast. But if West Coast weren't here, if that didn't happen, Mike, I would have played with these people. You, so you were coming back anyway? I was coming back anyway. Where did the overture come from to uh, uh, from the West Coast? Oh, just one fellow, particularly Richard... Richard was it uh, Collis? Richard Collis, yeah. who uh, was a... He was not unlike the overtures of an Alan Arlett, a David Robb, very upfront, very trust. I trusted him implicitly. Mm. Um, our conversations were all about handshakes and, and honesty. Um, and uh, I knew that if that was going to happen, if this club was going to form and he was going to lead it, then it was going to be something of substance. Mm. Two years with West Coast, mm. uh, 73 goals in your last, in your second year. Did you kick five against the Bulldogs in your last game? Uh, against Melbourne. Against Melbourne. In Melbourne, yeah. yeah. Against Melbourne when the bloke you mentioned before, Gary Lyon, kicked the winning goal. Yeah. He was only a whippersnipper, so... Uh, so you're ready to go, even though that's a good, that's a high note to finish on, isn't it? And that's that's probably made uh, my decision even more firm in my own mind that I thought, well, this is probably, body-wise, I wasn't injured by any stretch of the imagination, but starting to get some niggles in hammies and quaddies and playing on... 
some of the players coming through, like Gary Pert and Chris Langford, mm. the taller, angular, quick, strong fullbacks at the time, I thought, well, do you go and try and play another year and after three rounds, five rounds, ten rounds, find that you're flirting a little bit, either through form mm. or ability to keep up with the game or injury? Then there's the decision the club has to make, what do we do with him? So I thought, why don't you make that decision yourself? And I felt really comfortable with it. Was there a commercial element? Was it was money relevant then? Were you being Not paid? Not at all. No, no. I, I, well, I, I was very happy with what uh, my contract was with West Coast, but you've got to step away at some stage. Mm. And I, I've, I clearly, even today, I can tell you that I'd rather someone say to me, this is not meant to sound vain or or big-headed, but I'd rather someone, whether it be you or others, say, Ross, gee, I reckon you could have done another year, rather than say, geez, mate, yeah, you should have been too long. Yeah, yeah. And can I, can I just say it, and Dermot, I've told this before, Dermot Brereton, I thought he went that little bit too long. Mm. And I think it probably took a little bit away from the brilliant, wonderful player that he was. Yeah, no, it's, it's a dilemma, isn't it? Yeah. Because you want, you... Oh, you want? Yeah. And John Toddett, the, the coach at the time, he was fantastic. He said, look, because I told him in pretty much November of uh, 88 that I, I reckon I'm done. And he said, I'll give you to January. Mm. He said, if you think come January, have a breather, you think you have a chance to, to give us another year, I'm more than happy to wait, which was very good of him. Mm. Lots of the great players, Ross, who could play centre-half forward and centre-half back. Yep. On a windy day, they'd stay at the same end. They were that good. Did that ever happen to you? Very good question, Mike. It happened to me once playing for North at Arden Street against Essendon and the breeze was blowing a gale from the, the gasometer from the pool end, from the Errol Street end, straight down the ground. So a bit of a wet, daggy day and I just stayed uh, either in a forward pocket or in a back pocket. And, Did you really? uh, Yeah, and it uh, worked out okay. I think, I'm, I think I may have kicked four or five and I'm not... You know. No, no, I'm, you know. I, I think five. Yeah. Okay. So, and but, then you, you but stop, it was And then you stop the other mob kicking any goals when you're in the back. Do a couple of catches and, yeah. yeah, I think I probably gave it back to them. But who that was, was your coach? fun. Who was your coach that day? That would have been Barassi. Mm. So, um, which was, look, it was, it was really, it, it was strange. But um, you think, could that have happened more? Well, I, Has I, it I, happened a lot, Mike? I think, think, I think Phil Carmen played at the same end. One game. Oh, Phil probably just got lost. <laughs> or just refused to go up to the other. No, I'm not going. It's too far. No, yeah. he could run. Yeah, but no. I, if you've got, if, if yeah. you've got players with those capabilities, I can understand that. Can I throw this at you then? If, if Could you have a Jason Dunstall play full back? No. Could you have Wayne Carey playing centre half back? Yeah. Of course you could. Did a bit, yeah. Except he was insulted when he was put to centre half back. So was, could Dermot play centre half back? Um, oh. Terry Danaher could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it depends, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. So choosing who the player is and who they would be playing on in the opposition. Yeah. Let's go to September 83. Uh, North eliminated. You had a bad final series. Not you, I'm talking about the collective here. Bad final series. Two big thrashings. Yes. Uh, you eliminated on in the preliminary final. You go to Mad Monday, which also happened to be the day of the Brownlow medal. Mm. Did you lose your direction a bit that day? <laughs> well, it, it, so yeah, we didn't play well at all, and we had we had had a, a very good year. So, Mad Monday uh, wasn't anything out of the ordinary. But uh, I did get a phone call at the hotel we were at, which was the Homebush 
in North Melbourne, my wife Kerry drank, no mobile phones of course in those days, saying... So she rang the pub? She, she found out where we were, mm. we weren't hiding, but and she said, uh, finally got through and I was called to the bar, she said, you have any idea that we're supposed to be at the Brownlow tonight? And I hadn't forgotten, but it had fallen into a, if you like, a, a separate haze, so... <laughs> yeah. So I quickly... So what stage out. of the afternoon was it, Ross? Uh, it was about five o'clock, Mike. Really? So yes. So I quickly gathered myself and uh, and took off. Got home, got changed, and got to the event on time, and uh, and probably didn't need any more frothies. So did you have any more? I didn't have any more. No. And did I, you? Th the expectation was yep. clearly you were in in contention, weren't you? Yeah, I, I think there was probably four or five. It's probably three or four that had featured in most of the media awards and was spoken about. Terry Wallace was certainly one, Morris Rioli, Simon Madden. Mm. Um, now, Morris ran second and Simon was third. Correct. It's a good trifecta. Yeah, I, and that's that's what makes it even more fulfilling for mm. me individually to think, well, you've actually just filled out in front by a vote of some pretty cracking players. Yeah. So we didn't have a drink during the night, yeah. but as Mr EJ Witten always did, in those days, post the the award ceremonies, there was a room in the Southern Cross that you went to, and he was the he was the chef de mission. <laughs> he took control. So, well, but before that, how yeah. was your acceptance speech? Were you required to say much up on stage? Well, it was more a Q and A with Peter Landy. Yeah. Um, and I think Pete's first question was something like, uh, you know, we we're very disappointing, and I'd been very poor, and I thought, you yeah, know, that's that's fair. Did you say that to you? It was along those lines, and I didn't. I mean. And that was reasonably accurate, but it wasn't what I thought would have been an appropriate question. But that, look, that's fine. Were you offended or not? I wasn't offended. I just thought, well, it sort of put me on a bit of a back foot yeah, initially. Yeah. Does the Brownlow medal change your life? Uh, it doesn't change your life. Uh, what it does do, it gives people a reference point, whether you like it or not. You're often called that the 83 Brownlow medalist mm. or Brownlow medalist, which is a which is a wonderful thing. It gives you it gives you, I suppose, some recognition, and you you're in within a group now. For instance, in the year we're in, where you can go to the function and sit amongst some wonderful players. Um, but I don't think it changes your life. It gives you even greater respect for the game and respect for those that you played with who help you mm. achieve that by being teammates and those who have also won or didn't quite win. Mm. As I say, Morris Rioli and Simon Mann. Yeah, it's a good cut, mate. They yeah. were brilliant players. Roscoe, if I remind you about um, the Glendinning finals record, you played 13, mm -hmm. you won four. Mm. How does that sit with you? Uh, not great, no. Uh, you'd like to have won more. Um, a Ron Barassi probably wouldn't accept this, but there's times when you do have to move on. Mm. I like the way footy today, coaches and players, coaches particularly say, Friday night, Saturday night, Saturday afternoon, they get beaten, not happy, you've got to consider that, review it, and then you have to move to the next week. I think that's that wasn't done well enough, I don't think, through the when I played. Is it so right? so so it, it still focused on how poor you were or what happened the week before, mm. rather than concentrating, well, let's move on, let's change, let's pick out the two or three things that are really important yep. that we didn't execute, and let's try and work on that and look forward to the next game. I think they do that very well. Mm. I don't think 70s and 80s type coaches and players would think that way. 
They don't Does that make sense? Yeah, but they don't have the same after matches these days. I don't know if you do they? <laughs> no, they died. Can you, can you believe that in our lifetime that that's what you did after a game of football? You uh, had a party, buys and 40 beers? I can. It, because that's what it was. It, um, you, the home club, if you're playing at Arden Street with North Melbourne, you play Hawthorne, the players come into your change rooms, there's party pies, there's beers, there's soft drinks. The trainers all got together in the mm. trainers' room. The girls went upstairs at the social club and met the girls from the opposition. <laughs> and then after a period of time, you all got together. Yeah. Oh, you try to explain that today, it's, it's like, I suppose, people can't understand now that you could smoke on a plane. Yeah. I want to recite your coaches, uh, Roscoe. Barassi, Blight, Cable and Kennedy. Yes. Massive names there. Yeah. And, and all different personalities. And then here you had Ron Alexander and John Todd. All bring different things to the table. Yeah, I'd say. Yeah. Who was the one who had the most influence on you? Oh, clearly Barassi in my first years at North. I mean, he's uh, uh, physically and, and, and mentally, he's a very intimidating fellow in, in how he coached. Um, I had him in his probably the second half of his tenure at North and I just thought that that sort of coaching style was starting to just wane a little. Yeah. That, Would that, you describe the style to me? Oh, it's like a fire and brimstone, that, I mean, that quintessential old style of yell and scream and not abuse but could pick on you very, very harshly in a personal sense, not unhappy to, to, to separate you and quite often, um, and quite often the the, the more ability or better player you were, the more he'd have a crack. That was his it was That his was just mantra. his way. Yeah. That's his yeah. mantra. Well, the two most famous coaches I suspect in the last 50 years, Barassi and John Kennedy. You had both of them. Yeah. And they were different. John Kennedy was more paternalistic, oh, was he? Very much so. Um, very much the orator. Uh, no question, we got the message of how the, the persona of John Kennedy and the legend of John Kennedy walked into... North Melbourne Football Club change rooms. There was 55 odd players in the change room, not a very big area, a cacophony of noise like you wouldn't believe. John walks in with John Dugdale and Ron Joseph through the side door, turns and faces the crowd. It almost immediately, there's silence. Mm -hmm. He just had that ability, mm -hmm. has that ability, doesn't he? That it's just, that it's just a presence. Yeah. And then when he speaks, yeah. there's not a multitude of words but they're very select and very succinct. Did you get close to him, do you think? He wasn't a coach that you could approach, but you want to have something, a substance to approach mm. him with. Don't come to me with fluff and, and, mm. and rubbish. Have something specific. If you want some help, certainly. If you're not, that's fine. His pre-match addresses were simple. Our training was simple. Circle work one way, then go the other way. Someone's got confused. John, can we do something oh, different? I mean, yeah. and look, I say this so respectfully, but he would stand in the middle of Arden Street on a cold, shocking Tuesday night. This turf wickets are still in the middle and he's got a pair of, he's got a sleeveless jumper on, pair of footy shorts, odd coloured socks and a pair of hush puppies, <laughs> you know, and you think... John Kennedy and hush puppies? Well, he was like a praying mantis with various yeah, veins. Yeah. I mean, it was just... It, but that's him. Yeah. And he just had a presence. When he spoke, he'd bellow from the middle of the ground and everyone would stop. And no, no major emphasis on strategy? Not particularly. It was effort, playing for the club, team, um, and if the ball's there, you get it. Roscoe, we're here at Domain Stadium. I remember a game here in 2003, a derby or derby or whatever you like. Derby, Mike. A derby. Mm -hmm. um, there's a medal for the best player in that game, still is, the Ross Glendinning medal. 
Now, you'd appointed, or someone had appointed the panel of judges that day to decide the best player. Yes. Did you overrule that decision? I, I did, but not in an arrogant way as it was portrayed. <laughs> Explain this to me. Well, there were, there were uh, early days, there were five people casting votes and obviously collectively then the, the winners announced. But, um, and a couple of the boys that were leading were Andrew Embley and Ashley Sampy. Yep. Um, but in, in all honesty, I actually thought that Michael Gardner was the player that was the best player. Were you on the panel, Ross? Uh, I was. Were you? No, I wasn't. No, you, I didn't think you were. So the medal so, carries your name and you've got a panel appointed to do a job. Yeah. And you said, mm, don't like that decision. Yeah, which which um, was then taken as being racist. Because Sampy, Sampy, Sampy got the most votes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I just, I just announced that it was Michael Gardner. Now, t- before there's another step before that, you get the decision. Someone comes to you and says, "Yes, yeah, so they uh, actually Sampy has won the Rosslyn Dinner Medal." Yeah. And you said, "Uh." And and I, no disrespect to him at all, but I thought that Gardner was the player. So it it wasn't correct. I get that, but at the time, I just thought, "No, that's not right." And I didn't think that I should uh, pass it on to Ashley. So it was Michael. Did you advise anyone you were going to do that? No. So you go to the microphone, you say, the winner of my medal is? Is Michael Gardner. Gardner. Yeah. Did you ever address it with Ashley Sampy? I have spoken to him. About that? Yeah. Was he offended? He's okay. He wasn't offended, others were. Mm. There's some people in the media said, oh, I was racist, as I said before. It was wrong. And I understand, my phone rang pretty hot. That's not how I meant it to be. It was just my view that it should have been. I, in, in hindsight, Mike, you, you would say that's wrong through the process. That's what, wrong. No, no, it's more, not more, uh, what I say. What do you now think about that? Uh, I still think Gardner was the right player. No, but but, you, but I, I, I would say definitely that I made a mistake. You would say make, that? I would say that. What else do you want to say? No, no, no. No, I'm no, no, not being clever, mate, because no. it's, it's, it, it just, seriously, just kind of be, no, that's not, that doesn't sit with me. Gardner's the winner. It was pretty light ball, but that's what I did. And I did incur the wrath of many. Yeah. Uh, uh, what, about, what did West Coast say? Nothing. Were you, a point, were you working here at the time? No. You were independent. So that's, and that's where, when I did start working at West Coast, well, in fact, I'd been the number one ticket holder I was for a couple of years when that first was that announcement was made. It was agreed that I shouldn't be voting because being seen as being impartial, and I couldn't agree more. And then it became you could bet on the actual winner mm. of the medal. So, but you didn't vote in this case where Gardner got it. So the papers broke the story the next morning. It was yeah. It was, I mean, there was people on radio pretty much straight after the game. Guys who had been calling the game. I remember chatting to committee about it Monday. He said, I don't think you did the right thing. I Dennis said, said that. Yeah, and I said, yeah. Dennis, look, that's your opinion and, and that's what you think. But I thought I did. But now, no question, with uh, it, it seemed very arrogant um, and some would say wrong, but it's done. When, when the storm broke, I'm going to get off this shortly. Mm-hmm. That'd be good. When, when the storm broke, did you still think you were right? And were you resolute sort of saying, it's my medal and I'll pick the bloke who should win it? Yeah, I, I hope in saying it's my medal, it's not saying, hey, you guys have no idea. It was just, it was my view that that's who should have won it. 
So, but you're right, most took the view, hey mate, it's, it's, whilst it's your medal, it's, it's in your name, you don't have the right to make that decision. Mm -hmm. So there were those sorts of arguments. So it, it, there was a storm for about 48 hours, yeah. Mike, which, which I wasn't overly proud of, but I thought, well, I can't acquiesce now and go, oh, gee, I made a mistake. No, no, no. Um, and, it's, and it's not that easy talking about it now, but it's happened. I understand. You're a brilliant player, Ross. We love watching you play. And, and this is serious on behalf of all the media practitioners of the day. We all thought you were a great bloke and we didn't say that about too many people. Maybe not a great judge of uh, medals in derbies, <laughs> but, uh, but nice a, a great bloke and a great career. Good to see you. Thanks, Mike. Been a pleasure. This has been a production of Fox Sports.